Our theme for the series of Lent is Dying to Live. And we started off the, the season and, uh, of Lent with Ash Wednesday about 10 days ago. And then last week we were in John chapter 12. And we read that scripture that is such a powerful scripture that speaks of so much in our lives, in the life of Christ, and in the life of our Christian faith. Where Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. I ended off last week by challenging us as a congregation as we journey through Lent. The question I left you with was this. What missionary harvest or what harvest lies on the other side of your Lenten sacrifice? What are the things that you in your life... And we, we spoke about a few things last week as well. And we continue to talk about emulating the life of Christ and the way he lays down his life so that we too might be able to live in the fullness of Christ as well. What harvest lies on the other side of your Lenten sacrifice? A key concept I brought out last week as well was this concept that sin in itself is when we elevate the eye, when the eye is inflated in our lives. And the fact that we tend to live for self we tend to want to elevate and, 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 and kind of do things that work for me, not for others. And today, as we enter into our scripture, we're going to see how Jesus himself models how that needs to change. Even in the life of Jesus, somebody who was entitled to be sitting on the throne, entitled to recognition, entitled to everything that we want or think is good, not always is good in our life, to be acknowledged as the rabbi, to be acknowledged as God, the very person who was entitled and could and rightfully should have been actually chooses rather to elevate the Father, the will of the Father, and he humbles himself in washing the feet of his disciples. And so we see Jesus gives us an example how we should humble ourselves, how we should die to self, and in so doing, we are partnering in God's missionary harvest. Our reading then is from John chapter 1 to 15, and it reads as follows. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon, Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had tied around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord... Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, One who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet and put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, 
have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. And this is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What a powerful statement. How does Jesus love his disciples? What is this concept of love that he's emulating for us? Well, a particular Bible commentary, the Bible Knowledge Commentary, puts it this way. In discussing this particular phrase that John uses in John chapter 13, it says the way he loved them was through his humility. And it quotes John chapter 13, 1 to 17, which is the washing of feet. It says he loved them through his teaching. And it speaks about the private discourse, which is chapter 13 to chapter 17. And then it speaks about the fact that he loved them to the end, speaks about his death, which we see in chapters 18 and 19. When we consider this concept of Jesus loving people, it's, it's not the kind of love that this world depicts or a secularized concept of love. The secularized concept of love that we're continually dealing with is this Hollywood-style love where it's kind of like a romance and everybody lives happily ever after. I really don't know why it always ends when they get married because true love takes place after you get married. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like girl meets boy, finally they meet up and there's this beautiful wedding on a beach or something, the sun sets and then the credits scroll. I'm going, no, 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 you haven't figured it out yet. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where you truly means what it means to love. And so we have these secularized concepts of love, but actually he's not using those concepts, the Hollywood type love. He is using a kingdom form of love, which is intentionality, which is commitment, which is sacrifice. That is what true kingdom love is. John chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. What a powerful passage of scripture we have over there. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. What a powerful scripture. It, I think it should be up here. It's the previous slide. It's the one just before this one. What's powerful about this is Jesus knows who he is. He knows exactly who he is. Right? It's not difficult for him to actually go, hey, I can take off my robe because he knows this is who I am. I am the son of God. He has confidence in his identity. One of the reasons we struggle to serve one of the reasons we struggle to wash feet, one of the reasons we struggle to humble ourselves is because we don't know who we are in Christ. We need to think about that. He knows, knowing that the Father had given all things, he had, he had come from God, he was going to God, and with that revelation, he does something. He gets up from the table. Look at the intentionality. He gets up. And then he takes off his outer robe. There's that form of sacrifice. We see this picture of laying something down. The picture of letting go of something. And then he ties a towel around himself. He is now putting something on. He is shedding something and he's picking something off. We have this picture of the outer garment that is taken off. And the towel that is put on. The sense of, of, of humility and service and Christian service that he picks up. We take off what we need to do is take off the garments of this world and we need to clothe ourselves with the garments of the world to come. And I think Jesus very rightly demonstrates that for us. The slide that you're all looking at for some time. 
comes from the Faith Life Study Bible. And it says this first century Jewish, uh, Jews typically wore two layers. They had the outside robe, they had the inside robe. The inside robe was the one that was against the skin. It says Jesus takes off the outer robe either because he doesn't want to get it wet. But here is the powerful point. Or more likely, to demonstrate his vulnerability to his disciples, which suggests that love requires a person to be vulnerable. You know, without vulnerability, we cannot love. We cannot be loved. Vulnerability is a part of humility, and it's the only way we love and we are loved. So what is Jesus doing here? What is that picture we see of the taking off of the robe? Well, it's, it's that concept of taking off position, taking off title, taking off privilege, taking off preference, comfort. What Jesus actually is doing in this, in this image which is powerful for us. We need to think about this. He is confronting the cultural norms and he's stepping into a countercultural situation and saying, in a situation like this, I am not expected to do this. The world says I should not do this. The world says what I should do is this and this. I'm choosing not to do that. He takes off the expectations, the cultural kind of robes, those, those expectations, and he strips them down. And he chooses rather to take on heaven's culture. He strips himself of the very things that you and I believe give us value and give us identity. You know, I started off in John 13. I said, Jesus knew who he was. Do we know who we are? Do we have that same revelation? Here's a good question. What makes you, you? I, I hate that because when I prepare my notes and then I write and I go, what makes you, you? Then my spell check says you can't put two words next to each other like that. It doesn't work. Who knows what I'm talking about? But you know what I'm saying when I say what makes you, you? What is it? Because the world tells us what will make you, you. There's the rules of the world. The rules of the world say that we, our significance our value and our identity come from things such as our title, our status, our social standing, recognition, all these things. In fact, the world even sometimes says, well, it depends on the car that you drive, depends on the color of your credit card, depends on the, the, the letters after your name. And these are the things that so often, and this is, this is the scary part about the world, and, and hear my heart on this. The world tells us that these are things that we should strive for to accomplish. And then one day, when you're finished with your work and they say, and you go out for retirement and they shake your hand and you walk out and you sit down and you go, so what am I now? Because nobody cares about your title anymore. Nobody cares about your skill anymore. Nobody cares about anything else. Now you just sit on a rocking chair going, so who am I now? But for 40 years, 50 years, in the workplace, in the world, you played by the rules of the world, you did what the world told you to do, and suddenly you're sitting there going, so who am I really? It's a scary point. It's a scary place to be. But the point, here's the thing, if you play by the rules of this world, you won't get heavenly outcomes. You won't get earthly outcomes. Interesting thing about the rules of this world, and we're speaking about kingdom versus kingdom culture versus the way things work in this world is that the rules of this world are based on that big problem of the I, loving self. Have you noticed that recognition is about me? 
Have you noticed that status is about me? Position is about where I fit in on the food chain. It's always interesting to see when you have conversations with people how quickly they might drop their title, their position. Somehow they're trying to say, I'm important because of this aspect of my life. When ultimately our importance is found in Jesus Christ, nobody else. And one day when we die, we, go, we, we leave all that stuff behind. We don't get to heaven one day and say, okay, all the people with these titles over here, all the people with those, that's not how it works. Ultimately, we need to know who we are in God and be based on that. When Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he is incredibly countercultural. He's breaking the rules of the day. He's a rabbi. He has people that follow him. He has people that work for him. He's essentially, if, if, if you were washing feet in a household, you were a slave. That's what it was. And to wash feet, you need to understand, washing feet, that's dirty business. So we might say, well, yeah, they walked with open sandals. Yeah, they walked with open sandals and they didn't have great roads like we had. They might have had Roman, Roman roads, but they didn't have gas-guzzling cars or electric EVs, whatever it is we ride these days. They had donkeys and mules, so you walked on the same roads. I'm going to let you take that wherever you want to go in your head right now. That's up to you. So when you walked into a house, why are they washing feet? Because your feet are dirty, that's why. Because when you walk along the dust and the, everything in the... I mean, you walk in. And if, if you walked into the house, the master, it was polite for the master to, to call the slave and say, hey, 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 I've got a guest, wash his feet. And then the master will sit there and the slave will wash his feet. And then you as the guest will have your feet washed and sit and talk. And, well, they sit and do stuff down the feet there and make sure everything's nice and clean down the bottom there, you know? And then you go, thanks very much, you can go now. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes, no, 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 we don't need a slave here. We don't need a servant here. You got me. This is, this is an interesting thing. He is breaking all the things that we think, or the way we think, the way we work. Let's keep moving. I want us to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And as I read this, I want you to, in your head, I want you to, I want you to draw a parallel between John 13, Jesus who washes the disciples' feet. Okay, that's John's writing. And I want you to draw a parallel between John's writing and Paul's writing in Philippians, which is this beautiful passage. It's the Christ hymn about the humiliation of Christ or the humbling of Christ. It reads as follows. And, and see Jesus washing feet in this, this passage. Do nothing from selfish ambition. You see the concept of don't put eye on the throne, take eye off the throne, or conceit, but in humility regard others better than yourself. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, he was the rabbi, he was the teacher, he is God, he is Lord, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, the kind of slave that washes, his, washes feet in households, being born in human likeness, being found in human form. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If we take a closer look at how Jesus serves his disciples, this is where it's going to become quite personal and going to hit, this is going to hit home for us. 
Have a look what happens when he comes to Peter. Something interesting happens at that point. Peter says to him, you're not going to wash my feet. You will never wash my feet. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no share in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet. Are you tracking with me? I'll, un I'll unpack it in a second. But he is entirely clean and you are clean. One who has bathed does not need to wash. Jesus says something, uh, Peter says to him, not my, not my feet only, but my hands, my head. Okay? Jesus is basically saying in this passage, and we can, I mean, when we are in right relationship with Jesus, we don't need to be washed completely. We are already washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. But when we walk through this world, when we trample through the workplace and the mess that's in the workplace, our feet get dirty. When we drive on the 5969, as we know, our feet get dirty. Because sometimes we just don't act the way we should act. We don't do the things we should do. And sometimes the filth of the world or the, the things of this world cling to us. Jesus is saying to Peter, we're in right relationship, we're okay. But you know something? You're not always going to be clean. You're not always going to do things that keep you in right relationship with me and with your brothers and sisters. Therefore, and I'm making this applicable to us today, there comes a time when we have to stop and we have to wash one another's feet. Now, let me take this a step further for you. Who's in the room? The disciples. Why is that significant? Because when we get to the end of this passage in about verse 14 and 15, he says this, I, your teacher, have done this for you. You need to now do this for? Who's in the room? So in some ways, we understand that we should be serving our community, and that is true. And we understand from Philippians chapter 2 as well, that he humbled himself in order to bring salvation. And when he loved them, he loved them to the end, even to, and, he, and through the death of Christ, he gave everybody the opportunity to be saved. But here's the thing. Even within the community of believers, he is saying, and this is really where this thing kind of hits hard home, he is saying this. You need to wash each other's feet. Because when you live in community, you come into community with the filth of the world. And when that happens, we're not there to point fingers to say, you're right, you're wrong, you're good, you're bad. We're there to say, how can I take off my pride? How can I put on my towel? And how can I wash your feet in this situation? Now, what, what are we missing? What are we missing in the story? What are we missing? Come on, say it, say it. Somebody, it's here, yeah, it's on the tip of my tongue. You want to say it. What are we missing? We're missing Judas. Oh, did Jesus wash Judas's feet? We are called to humbly serve our brothers and sisters in Christ by washing their feet as we together 
together we navigate the challenges and the trappings of this world. He doesn't come to Judas and say, actually, you're the one who needs to be clean completely. Hey, Peter, don't worry. Put a pin in that. I'm getting to Judas. We'll have that discussion when we get to him. What's he do? He goes to Judas. He says, even you, I will wash your feet. How do we, how do we work when it comes to... You see, the, the thing, John chapter 13. Who can tell me what is one of the greatest verses in John that is in chapter 13 you just got to keep reading when you get to about the 30s 31 32 you got your bible open a new commandment i give to you that you will love one another as i have loved you he's just shown them how to do it and when he's shown them how to do it he says even when judas the traitor sits in front of you you go i'm here to wash your feet i'm here to wash your feet what a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. So having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The greatest mystery to us of the love of God that we see in this passage is the way that the very God that has been violated by our sinfulness is the very same God who humbles himself to clean us, to wash us, and to leave us clean before the Father. Wow. Do we have that same love in us? Wow. Challenging, challenging stuff. We're caught in the trappings of the world too often and we think to ourselves, it's difficult to get down on our knees. I'm, I'm a minister for my sins. And you know what's interesting about being a minister, and this is the thing that's the craziest thing, is that to be a minister and to be a disciple of God, full-time ministry, this is, this is, this is one of those, those, those crazy things that happens in the world. What you do is you study a lot. You jump through a lot of hoops. Guess what happens when you finish jumping through all the hoops? Wait for it, wait for it. What do they give you? A title. You see the irony of that? They give you a title. Guess what else they give you? They give you a position. You're now the, you know, the pastor of the church. You've got a title and you've got a position. Do you know what else they do, which is really fascinating to me, especially the Methodist church? They give you a robe. <laughs> who, sees, who sees the irony of all this? But you see, the point is, we're supposed to put on towels, not robes. And you know, it's so difficult sometimes because, I mean, if we're going to hold on to those things, and even for me, I'm challenged every single day to say, but God, how can I serve? How can I love? How can I be a part of your kingdom? You know, when, when, whenever, I, whenever I, I come to a new church, they say, how'd you like to be called? I said, I don't care how you call me as long as you call me for breakfast. We're okay. <laughs> you know, but this is the issue. I went, this is, I've got, I'll say one more story and then I'm going to close with this. I'm actually talking a bit long here, but we'll wrap it up. On Friday... I had to get my hair cut eventually. Some of you know about my, my barber story. My barber's still out of action, but I thought rather than becoming the fifth member of the Beatles, <laughs> I'd better find a barber. So we're looking for this barber, and uh, I found a website, and I couldn't book on the website. I was frustrated, out of my mind. I finally phoned. They said, yeah, come in at 2. So I go in at 2 o'clock, and I'm like, not in a good frame of mind, but I'm going to go get my hair cut. So I got my hair cut. I wish this whole thing had worked out. 
Young lady walks up and she's going to cut my hair. Never met her in my life. They said, do you have any preference? I said, no, anybody can cut my hair. It's fine. I don't care. Just do it. I've got a barber. We're fine. So she comes up. She can cut my hair. She's 20 years old. So she starts cutting my hair. What happens with, 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 with people cut your hair? What, this is unofficial therapy, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy unofficial therapy, so I'm just quiet. So after about two minutes of silence, she's like, she can't anymore. She's like, what do you do? I go, oh, man. <laughs> I can see that she's had a bit of a rough life. I go, I'm a minister. She goes, oh. Now, I'm, I'm, looking, I can, I'm looking. I'm reading this room. She goes, yeah, she says, my dad was a minister. Was a minister. He was a minister. And we get talking. She's 20 years old. She's had a rough life. She says to me, you know, it's just these opportunities you take. She says, I'm okay with God, you know. I struggle a bit with his church. But I'm okay with God. And I thought to myself, you know what? She didn't need robes, she didn't need titles, she didn't need any positions. All she needed was humanity. When I walked in there, I was nobody and I didn't want to be anybody. And I really felt like I planted a seed there and the biggest pain for me was walking away was saying, Lord, how on earth do you just get people in the community that are hurting, that are dying? How do we get these people to just connect with you, connect with the authenticity of you? And, and, and I, I mean, we are here to serve one another, but unless we take off these outer, these, these garments, these pretenses, these, this arrogance that we can sometimes have and if we, if we can't take that off and put a towel around us, let me tell you, I said to her, I said, man, I pray that the next 20 years are a lot better than your first 20. And she just nodded her head like, yeah. I could tell. She didn't have to tell me much. She's had a rough 20 years. I said to her, I hope your next 20, 30 years are much better than the last 20. She said, yeah. But you know, we don't reach people like that by wearing robes and titles. I could walk in there with every title I've got, every degree I've got, Every robe that's been given to me is not going to touch a life. Let's turn to God and let's, let's humble our hearts before God this morning in prayer.